Good morning. Whether you're joining us through the live stream on public television or here at the church, welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. I'm Chris Jimerson, co-lead minister here at the church. My pronouns are he, him. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us this morning, either in the comments if you're online, or by turning to those around you if you're here in the sanctuary. Um, I'm Nathan Lawrence. I'm the lay leader uh, today for this, today's service. Um, I invite everyone to say the words together to light the chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. This is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Call to worship today is by Alfred North Whitehead, an English mathematician and philosopher. The art of progress is to preserve order amid change and to preserve change amid order. This congregation has a mission. It is our common religious uh, purpose. It guides all of our decision-making. It informs our ministries and programs. We emblazoned it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Now is the time in our service when we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing together, feeling the loving presence of our fellow congregants, even across virtual space. We follow that breath to a deeper place inside, a place of greater wisdom, a place where we are open to new possibilities. that place where a spark of the divine dwells within each of us. Breathing in, breathing out, we enter into a time of sacred silence together, Remembering that the sounds of small children and human sounds are a part of that silence in this church. Breathing together, we enter into that time of sacred silence together. In a moment, we will have some music. 
during which I invite you to light candles, candles of sorrow, joy, remembrance, hope. Today's reading is from The Body is Not an Apology, The Power of Radical Self-Love by Sonia Renee Taylor. We will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal, other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, hoarding, and hate. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. What we have been forced to leave behind, we needed to leave behind. What is getting us through is what we will need to take forward. All the rest is up to us. Dream, dream of the life you want. Dream of the world you desire to exist in. What is the dream then? From there, we can add to the collective weaving of whatever it is that is next. If we are gonna heal, let it be glorious. Long, long ago, in a land far, far away, March 2020, about right here, 
We were about to have to close down the church building because public health authorities were asking us all to stay at home, sequester in place because of the emerging COVID-19 pandemic. Doesn't that seem like forever ago? I've been thinking about what we might have learned from all of that. What does it mean for the world we live in now? How do we do church going forward? Well, I don't pretend to have all the answers. I just know we can't pretend it didn't happen, that things will go back to some normal that never was. So I hope to open a conversation in the church today. I think it is important to go back and remember those times because as a church member said to me recently, there may be some ways that the pandemic did us some favors by putting some things on the table. So let's review that history and see what it put on the table for us. We closed in March. We had to go to each of us in the service individually recording different parts of the services from our homes. I still remember the first time I had to preach a sermon to my laptop in my dining room. That was strange. Later, we were able to go to recording here in the sanctuary, but again, each of us individually to be safe. And then finally later to live streaming. We were all here together, but we socially distanced and wore masks unless we were talking or singing. And of course, all of our church ministries, our religious education program, all had to move online. And that was hard for things like RE, like our folks in caring, like our social justice programs, our membership folks, our fun and fellowship folks. And yet, yet so many of you did such amazing work. I still remember that online variety show that Fellowship did where we all could record a video, we sent it to them, and then they did a Zoom where they played it back and we all gathered together. That was such fun. And I think more importantly, built community and connection even when we couldn't be together. I am so grateful to our social justice folks who kept up the work going to rallies and protests, even though it put them at risk. And our music folks and our choir, they put together some music videos that should get MTV awards, in my opinion. And, yeah. and so much more. One of the things that put on the table is that we are adaptable. We are almost infinitely creative. I still remember doing weddings online and even a memorial service. I would do a wedding, me at my house, the couple at their house, and then I would have to go drive by. They would leave their wedding certificate outside somewhere where I could sign it safely. I would get back in the car and call or text and say, okay, you can go now pick up your wedding certificate. You are now legally married. One of the hardest things for me during that time was not being able to be in person with people when they needed pastoral support, when they were going through losses. So many of our institutions, hospitals, long-term care facilities wouldn't even let ministers in. And my spouse, Wayne, was taking immune suppressive drugs. So if I put myself at risk when I went home, I was putting him at risk. 
That was so very difficult. And yet I learned, I learned that love and support can cross a social distance that a virus can't. That love can radiate through a computer screen or over a phone line. During that time when, when staying at home went on so much longer than we had anticipated, I started sending two or three emails or text messages a day to different people in the church who I knew lived alone or were going through some difficulty in their lives. The response was so moving and so overwhelming. I have continued to do that sometimes, even today. The point is, we found ways to be together. Even before we reopened this building, we got together outdoors so that we could have fellowship and connection safely. Some of our folks who lived in the same neighborhood put together neighborhood group activities. Even after we came back, when we had to social distance and wear masks for a while, we would have no coffee coffee hours so that we could be together in fellowship safely. And then finally, finally in February of 2022, we were able to come back together in person for good. But by then, we and things were forever changed. Our topic today. And of course, while all that was happening at the church, we were all going through major upheavals in our own lives. Here are just a few. We were quarantining. We had to work from home. All of our other social life avenues were closed down to us. And we had very different reactions to that. As an extrovert, I often felt like this. ¿Qué más pues gordos y maria o sea, esta canción la compuse y se llama Cuarentena. But I remember talking to introverts who at least at first were like, this is great. I can stay at home. I don't have to go to work. I don't have to be around people. Or if I do, it's over a computer. This is great. So one of the things that we found out is that humor would help us get through things. We used humor to make it through. We had to adjust our parenting and our family relationships. So many people were working from home while schooling their children at home, and that was hard on the children. And they weren't learning in-person socialization skills, but if you think it was hard on the children, look at what happened to the parents. Those of you who made it through that time as parents are heroes, in my opinion. So we were all at home with each other almost all the time. Even our pets got stuck with us. Actually, I, I think my dogs had a harder time of it when I was actually able to go back to the office and not be at home all the time. If we lived alone, we had to find new ways to connect with others. And if we lived with someone else, we had to find new ways of being together. So personally, I think that my spouse, Wayne, is really, really lucky that I am so easy to live with and get along with. 
Actually, I, I used to give him a little break and feed my extroversion by going for walks in neighborhoods that I used to just drive right by so that I could see people outside where it was safe and have conversation and make connection. There's still a neighborhood very near the church that I really loved because people would come outside with their children and we could talk and say hello safely that I go by even now when it's not 107 degrees outside because I've gotten to know those people and oddly enough, I'm now starting to watch their children grow up these days. So we also had to discover new ways to celebrate the holidays to find, <laughs> to find connection over the holidays and in other life events. My spouse, Wayne and I were there when my niece Lincoln was born. We had been to every one of her birthday parties in person. And of course, during the pandemic, we couldn't do that for a couple of years. So my brother and his wife set up her birthday parties where they would come out in their front yard and all of us who loved Lincoln would line our cars up down the road and we would roll our windows down and then we'd have a birthday parade where we went by and waved and said hello and happy birthday. <laughs> it wasn't the same, but it was something. And it was a way of creating community again. Some of you have heard me talk about all the different ways we found to create community. I remember at one point when staying at home had gone on much longer than we all thought it would. One evening we were out on our front porch and a child across the street came out of their house and started practicing on their saxophone. And then the neighbor next to them, that family came out, a man and his wife and a little girl, and he started playing his guitar with them. And someone else across the street brought another instrument out. And then other people came outside and started humming and singing along. There we were on our cul-de-sac having a concert with people who we hadn't even met before the pandemic. Well, we couldn't travel, so we had to find creative ways to go about that. Creative ways to explore our world virtually. I remember being a part of a Facebook group called Outside My Window, where we would take pictures outside the various windows of our homes and share them with each other so it felt a little bit like we were traveling and visiting. I suppose the greatest thing we learned is how deeply our interconnectedness really, really goes. There's nothing like a virus to show us that we all breathe the same air. So what got put on the table is that we need each other to survive. So that was a lot of change that came about because of that. And I think it's why we have to remember. And one thing I think we have to remember that we don't like to remember is that we experienced collective trauma. We were quarantined. Our sense of security and stability was completely broken down. We had to practice constant vigilance to protect ourselves and others. We witnessed so much suffering and death 
Over 1 million now in the U.S., almost 7 million worldwide. Here at this church, our senior minister at the time had to let us know that she was going to have to retire because of a non-COVID-related illness. During that time, we went through the snow apocalypse here in Austin. And then a couple of years later, the great freeze where a bunch of us lived in homes without electricity for several days in a row. That was traumatic. We went through a traumatic election followed by a traumatic insurrection. And we are still dealing with long COVID and I was just reading that scientists and healthcare professionals are running into a dilemma because they're having trouble separating what in long COVID is being caused by the virus itself and what could be attributed to trauma because it overlaps. And of course, in this case, could be both. Let me just read to you a partial list of the things that could be caused by trauma itself. Cardiovascular issues, high blood pressure, immune disorders, inflammation, fatigue, neurological issues, mental health issues, chronic respiratory issues. So all that trauma is still driving behavior, our own and others. I think it's why the trend toward increasing division politically in our country has accelerated after the pandemic. Those of us that have a worldview that says we are all in this together have gone even further that direction. Those who may think more along the lines of everyone is in it for themselves have also done that. It's led to tribalism. It's brought out denialism, witness the anti-vaxxers. We're experiencing those trauma symptoms, clouded thinking, restricted imaginations just when we need them the most, short-temperedness, memory problems, brain fog problems. I have someone almost every day tell me that they're having some of these problems. We're even having institutional memory problems where in our country and even here in the church, we are forgetting things as a group that happened only a little while ago. Mental health issues and addiction rates have gone up. We also have people processing grief. They had to delay during these times of the pandemic. For instance, folks who couldn't have a memorial service because they wanted to wait till they could do it in person. And finally, I think one of the big ones that was already happening that is happening even more so now is that we now coexist in a physical reality and a virtual reality at the same time. Here's some examples from our church and our faith. In this church, during the time I've been talking about, folks from all over the country and even the world started coming to worship with us online and to some of our meetings, and some of them still are, we don't even know who some of them are. So hello, if you're with us here today. The folks who, there, there are folks who used to the, come to church in person, but they now come online almost every Sunday. I'll tell you a story that a church member gave me permission to tell. I was talking to her one day when she was here at church in person, and I asked her, why she wasn't coming as much. And she said, well, you know, 
I can get up on Sunday morning in my pajamas and get my cup of coffee and sit down on the couch and participate in worship and make comments. And it's great. I love it. And I said, well, you could wear your pajamas to church. No one will mind. And we have coffee. And she looked at me with this wry grin and she says, oh, no, you don't want me to wear my pajamas to church. <laughs> She's still coming online most of the time. I am now getting requests for weddings, memorial services, and pastoral care from people I have never met, but who have met us because they've been coming online. More broadly, in the world of Unitarian Universalism and religion as a whole, church membership is down, as is in-person attendance and participation overall. And yet, yet while that's happening, Every survey you look at says there is an increased desire, a hunger for community and spirituality. So how do we address that contradiction? How do we adjust to this new world in which we find ourselves? How do we include the folks that are coming online and tend to their virtual needs? How do we define membership, attendance, participation? How do we know what really needs to happen in person which, or what might happen better virtually or could work for both? How do we figure out the needs of our larger world now? What does worship, worship and church life look like moving into the future? Do we need to provide more virtual offerings that include things like art, like we do in our gallery? music like the great new concerts that Brent has been doing? Do we need to have more community activities that are both in-person and virtual? Do we need to help folks organize online watch parties so small groups can have community as they participate virtually? Do we need to set up many virtual locations so that folks who can't travel to the church might get together in their neighborhoods and and participate in community together in smaller groups. Well, again, I don't have all the answers. I'm not even sure I know all the questions. I'm just opening a conversation and reminding us where we have come from, not to re-traumatize us, that's why I tried to use some humor earlier, but to help us know where we are and therefore where we may be going. I will tell you one thing I do know. I know this church is up to it. Even after all the trauma I mentioned, this church's worship attendance and visitation is actually going up. Our church groups and activities outside of worship have over 400 people participating now. Our church leadership positions are filled and volunteering is actually up. So many people have reimagined and are reinvigorating so many of our church ministries from our social action council to First UU Cares and our memorial services team to our welcoming and membership folks to our healthy relations team and our, our uh, fellowship team, just to name a few. And last time, we had the highest total dollar stewardship campaign that I can find in this church's history. Right now, 
Our membership has gone from around 350 last May to 460 at our last congregational meeting. There are several hundred more people participating actively in some way in the church. And in the last week, 15 new people joined this church. My beloveds, that's not happening in most other churches, including within our own UU faith. So I know, I know that this church can figure out what that new world we'll be living in will look like, but also, also that we can bring our values, our mission, our principles with renewed vibrancy into that new world and into the foreseeable future. As the poet said in our reading earlier, dream, dream of the life you want, dream of the world you desire to exist in. Then, Let's go create it together. Amen. I invite everyone to say the words to extinguish this chalice. <clears throat> we extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together. May your heart sail on refreshing winds to new heights of exhilaration. May your thoughts embrace all that is ever unfolding within and around you. May your spirit discover new depths, new understandings, an ever-growing sense of peace and right place in the world. May you know that this beloved community holds you and is with you, not just today, but throughout all of your days. May the congregation say, Amen. Amen. Blessed be. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.